Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 19th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, the CEO of Chevron tells us $100 oil is a question of when and not if. Santander revamps its corporate structure in a move that could prompt job cuts. Plus, we take a closer look at Hungary's bid to become one of the world's biggest suppliers for electric vehicles, whatever the cost. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The prospect of $100 oil is back as supply remains tight and demand continues to grow. Production cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia have steadily tightened supplies and helped to push the price of Brent up by 30% since March. Here's what the Chevron CEO Mike Worth had to say when he was asked by Bloomberg if the world is headed for triple-digit oil. Sure looks like it. We're certainly moving in that direction. The momentum, you know, supply is tightening. Inventories are, are drawing. These things happen gradually. You can see it building. And so I think, you know, the, the trends would suggest that we're, we're, we're certainly on our way. We're getting close. Chevron's Mike Worth went on to say that he believes robust global growth means the underlying economy can withstand such a price spike. Right now, Brent crude is trading at $95.05 a barrel. Santander is overhauling its corporate structure in a move that may involve job cuts. The Spanish bank is combining individual countries' retail and commercial banking businesses under a global unit. Bloomberg understands that an expansion into US investment banking is also in the works, with several new hires joining from Credit Suisse. The revamp closely resembles a plan announced last week by Citigroup to streamline its operations. UK inflation is expected to tick up for the first time since February as fuel prices have risen. Data out on Wednesday is likely to show price gains notched higher to 7% last month from 6.8% in July, according to a Bloomberg survey. The official CPI figures are likely to complicate the backdrop for the Bank of England's rate decision on Thursday, with concerns that the UK, along with the rest of Europe, could face a period of stagflation. The U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says that ending America's trading relationship with China is a no-go. Yellen was speaking during a fireside conversation with Hillary Clinton. It's in many areas a win-win relationship in the sense that our trade and investment flows produce gains for China and gains for the United States. And much of it is uncontroversial, should thrive, and it would really be disastrous to try to decouple from China. 
Janet Yellen's comments come as relations between the world's two biggest economies remain tense over everything from semiconductors to Taiwan. But China remains among the US's biggest partners with trading goods between the two reaching a record $691 billion last year. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is urging Elon Musk to address anti-Semitism on his social media platform X. During an in-person meeting in California, Musk staunchly defended himself against the accusations. Obviously I'm against anti-Semitism. I'm against anti-really anything um, that is, uh, you know, that promotes hate and conflict. Meanwhile, the billionaire who founded Tesla and SpaceX has been in a row with the ADL, a Jewish civil rights group, which has highlighted the increase in extremist content. Benjamin Netanyahu faced protests over his efforts to weaken Israel's judiciary on his visit to Silicon Valley ahead of the United Nations General Assembly meeting in New York. Now, Microsoft's AI research team accidentally exposed a large cache of private data on the software development firm GitHub. That's according to the cybersecurity firm Wiz. The exposed data included Microsoft employees' PC backups, which contained passwords to Microsoft services, secret keys, and more than 30,000 internal Microsoft Teams messages. In a statement, Microsoft said that no customer data was exposed and that the root cause of the issue has been resolved. Wreckage has been discovered in the hunt for a US Marine F-35 fighter jet that disappeared over South Carolina. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the details. An intense hunt has been underway for the $100 million jet near Williamsburg County, North Carolina. The pilot ejected during a training mission on Sunday. Teams now from the Marines, Navy, Civil Air Patrol, local law enforcement on the search. The F-35 is the most advanced of the U.S. fleet. The Marine Corps has ordered a pause in air operations to review safety and best practices. A statement cited three Class A mishaps in the last six weeks. I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Carla, it's been a strange time to be a worker in one of those big tech companies. Over the past year, we've had that raft of job cuts affecting some of the biggest names in the industry. We've a really interesting report today about conditions at Meta, and they are working now to try and improve staff morale after cutting some 20,000 jobs uh, over the past few months. They've brought back happy hours in the office. They're bringing <laughs> back branded T-shirts for people as well. They've brought back dinner time and laundry services and things that workers in Silicon Valley and in a lot of the hubs that these companies have around the world have got very used to as a regular part of their working day, but they'd all been cut back during what Mark Zuckerberg described as their year of efficiency. It's an interesting reflection on where these companies are now because they've done the cuts Mm. in most cases. I mean, Meta's revenues have bounced back, so there's less of a concern over the immediate future of the business as well. And now they're having to work to try and restore some of the things that their employees very much appreciated at a time, of course, when they're also trying to get them to come back to the office too. Yeah, I was going to say, how much of this surely is work from home? I mean, in London, there's a very, there are a couple actually of very kind of glitzy tech hubs Mm. that have been developed over the years. But yes, I wonder whether it's about, you know, retention. Is it about trying to get people out of the home office uh, or not? I mean, there's a great deal of focus. I was reading a piece yesterday about universities, how young people are really examining, you know, how well they can do in the work world in terms of choosing which degree they do and actually the tech jobs in the UK you know, according to all the data are the ones that pay pay the best so pay I, I, and perks. I did love some of the, the comments in this though is that uh, people are complaining that it's not quite as good as it was before. <laughs> some people saying the food what? isn't 
as good as it was. Um, so that's still, I think, an open question we might hear some more about in the future. Yeah. Let's turn to get more now on the situation in the oil markets. We're talking about Brent crude trading at a level close to the highest level in 10 months, in fact. Traders and analysts now uh, expecting many of them to see oil reach that $100 a barrel handle. Our senior energy reporter, Stephen Stapchinski, joins us now from Singapore for more on the story. Stephen, great to have you with us on the show. What's driving this recent rally in prices? Yeah, thanks for having me. I think you have to look at what's what Saudi Arabia and Russia are doing. Um, they're really pulling back that production, and you're seeing it through the end of the year. Earlier this month, they said they would cut each one million barrels a day uh, through December, and OPEC uh, analysts are saying that there's going to be a deficit of more than three million barrels a day uh, for the fourth quarter. If that comes to be true, then really, you know, th- these these inventories are going to keep getting drained, and th- there's you know going to be a rush by refiners by other folks. To to grab on the crude, and so that's that's kind of pushing things up at the moment. And then you also have sort of this rosier picture um, out of the United States and China. Um, but both the economic data over the last few weeks have shown that you know maybe uh, the chances of a recession are, are out of the cards, and, and demand for for these products will m- remain pretty strong. You know, you heard Chevron's uh, CEO say earlier that you know he, he thinks you know oil demand is going to rise to an all time high this year, and he, he was pretty bullish on. It. Of course, they sell the fuel, uh, but still, you know, that's that's one more person adding adding their opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I'm speaking of that Chevron CEO um, and $100 oil. What do you think is likely then? Does there need to be something extra to push the price to $100 and then for it to stay there? Or uh, is it simply the rebound economically? Yeah, you know that, that that's a really good question. And I think everyone's trying to kind of read the tea leaves to figure out how, how quick it goes, and if we will hit a hundred dollars, um, you know, th- this this rally <clears throat> could run out of steam uh, quickly if, if you see a rebound in production from, let's say, for example, the United States. If shale drillers really bring back a lot of their rigs, um, if if we see perhaps not as as strong buying, if we have some negative data coming out of China, you know, all these things together. Um, could could kind of pull this away. Um, th- there is momentum, obviously. Uh, you know, when you talk to people in the market compared to three, four months ago, there is this idea that a um, hundred dollars could happen. But it being sustained, analysts don't think that that's really going to happen. You're going to see OPEC come back. There's going to be geopolitical pressure for OPEC to reduce their cuts, maybe next year, even earlier. And at the same time, like you know, like I mentioned, the the shale producers come back. Other people are going to try to to profit off this. And they're going to bring rigs back, and and the production will will bounce. It's not quite like last year, where there was a shock, and then it was in that level for a while. What about the outlook further down the line, and and how, kind of how important is China to that picture? Yeah, you know, China is is very important. Uh, they're they're an, an enormous uh, consumer of of crude. Um, they they are the biggest importer, and they're uh, you know key to making uh, kind of keeping. Uh, prices at this level. Last year, around this time, uh, people were thinking, hey, China's going to really bounce back. Uh, when you remove those COVID curbs, uh, the Chinese economy is going to come roaring back. Uh, you're going to see, you know, potentially government-backed uh, stimulus, and oil demand is going to roar. And yes, oil demand has picked up this year uh, in China, but it, the economic recovery isn't 
exactly what everyone expected. It's not bouncing back as as fast. So, you know, where where does China stand? There's also, you know, looking even longer term, there's also this question of, all right, where where does China, oil demand <clears throat> stand in China? Because the country is rapidly shifting to EVs at, 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 a, at a, a pace that I think very few were expecting. And while, you know, the, the gasoline demand in China is just one small piece of a, a larger oil demand picture, that is that is a, a factor that uh, perhaps the market doesn't always appreciate that that shift to electric vehicles. Mm, absolutely. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Stephen Stapchinski is our senior energy reporter joining us from Singapore for more. As, of course, uh, we watch uh, the eye-catching rally in crude oil. Brent crude futures currently trading at $95.01 the barrel. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's go to Hungary next for our next story, where they're ramping up battery production at the fastest pace per capita in the world. Not everyone's happy about it, though, in the Eastern European country, where Prime Minister Viktor Orban is facing a backlash over environmental concerns. Joining us now to discuss is our Budapest Bureau Chief, Zoltan Simon. Uh, Zoltan, great to have you with us on the programme. Give us a sense of, of how much headway Hungary has made in scaling up its battery industry and how that compares with other countries. Hello, yes. Um, basically, it's been pretty startling for everybody living in Hungary. Um, it's gone from basically its first battery plant that opened around 2018 by the South Korean uh, battery maker Samsung SDI to having today basically six battery plants that are either working already or in the planning or construction phase, as well as about two dozen um, companies related to the battery industry, like basically suppliers. So Hungary has received over the past um, six years or so about 20 billion euros, more than 20 billion dollars worth of investment in the battery industry. And that basically means that in a few years time, Hungary is on track to become the second biggest battery maker in Europe after Germany and the fourth biggest globally. And this is startling for you know, a country the size of the state of Indiana in the U.S., yeah, absolutely. I mean, the envy, surely, of the UK that is, uh, you know, trying to do uh, something to increase battery technology and, and EVs in the UK too. Why has Hungary, how has it become such a magnet for battery makers? Well, basically, it's um, 
It has a lot to do with two things. One is it's Hungary has been host to some of the sort of premium German uh, car brands, such as Volkswagen's Audi, Mercedes-Benz, most recently BMW set up a factory. And these, these, um, these car companies are obviously making the rapid transition to EVs, to producing electric vehicles. And so they're looking around at where do they convert these uh, uh, these older style uh, um, car factories into uh, ones that will produce electric vehicles. And Hungary is becoming an obvious choice, one, because they have great relationship with Prime Minister Viktor Orban's government, who has given lavish subsidies uh, to these car companies. And two, because Orban also has great relations with China, and a lot of the biggest, uh, many of the biggest battery makers are Chinese. And so basically, uh, this has become, Hungary has become the sort of meeting point between Eastern battery makers and Western, especially German car makers. But what sort of opposition is there to this expansion? Well, basically, uh, a lot of it has to do uh, with the environment, which, uh, you know, may sound odd a bit because, you know, we're talking about the green transition and how, you know, uh, there's more and more sort of uh, electric cars, which will sort of cut emissions and and basically help uh, go the earth and go Europe uh, greener. But locally, uh, it's been such a frantic pace of, of basically battery plants are being announced by the month. And these are like billion dollar plus investments. Obviously, these factories have huge water and energy needs. Um, plus, they do work with hazardous material. Uh, so there's a lot of concern locally that, you know, there's a potential risk of contamination. And I think it, basically I've done more than a dozen interviews uh, here recently about this, talked to residents, officials, uh, and there's real concern about how much they can trust authorities to uh, make these companies abide by environmental uh, rules uh, that they have. So it's it comes down to a, basically a question of trust and also a question of just quantity. Uh, people are asking how much, how many of these battery plants does a country the size of Hungary really need? This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.